0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Zhao, and today I sit down with Andre Cherny, co-founder and CEO of Aspiration, a budding financial services platform for people who want to save the planet by trying to neutralize their carbon footprint. Their mission is huge, with around 5 million members trying to help make a difference in the fight against climate change. Aspiration provides numerous products, including deposit balances that are completely divested from fossil fuels, a roundup feature like acorns to plant trees across the world, two-day early access to wages, carbon offsets for car mileage, cashback on mission-focused retailers, high interest rates on savings, and so much more. They also are now a burgeoning B2B platform for carbon offsets, helping people like Drake calculate the planetary impact of their businesses and then offset it. Andre and I cover a great deal in today's episode and also a special shout out to Ami of Radical Impact for setting up this one. In today's episode, we cover how his op-eds in Harvard student newspaper landed him a job with Bill Clinton, how aspiration works and what inspired him to start the company, why identity banking is the future of financial services, raising his company's minimum wage to $25 during a pandemic, and so much more. Also, at the end, Andre mentions it's my final episode at Wharton Fintech. It will actually not be my last. I couldn't stay away, but I'm getting very, very close to the end. Stay tuned for my finale. And one quick disclaimer, this is not securities advice in any way, and this is recorded solely for the purpose of Wharton Fintech. Let's get started. Hi Andre and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech podcast. It's great to have you on today's show as a guest today.
1: I'm excited to be here, Ryan. Thank you. Great. So to start
0: before we jump in, Andre, where have you been the last year and a half in this just kind of crazy COVID year while building aspiration?
1: So, I will back up by saying the crazy thing that I uh, have been doing all during aspiration, which is uh, up to March of 2020. I spent uh Seven years, basically commuting every week from Phoenix, Arizona, where I live and where my family is, to Los Angeles, where Aspiration is headquartered. And uh, in some ways, the experience over the past a year and a half has been less crazy than than trying to do that for <laughs> for seven years. And I look back right. and and ask myself about that. But uh, I've been, for the most part, uh, back in Phoenix.
0: That's a lot of flights. You sound like a, some of my consulting classmates. You must be serious status on a couple airlines.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, it's it's status on Southwest Airlines. So it just oh. means I get extra peanuts, which is not uh, quite as exciting. <laughs> and maybe A15 boarding if you're lucky. Yeah, I, I always get <laughs> A15.
0: <laughs> Every time. So, Andre, we can we can jump in. So I think to start, you have quite a different background from a lot of guests on the show. Not that there's really too many traditional paths to fintech. But I want to walk our audience through your untraditional background and kind of, you know, starting with what seems like your first big career break, which is ready for this listeners, writing a column in the Harvard Crimson when you were at Harvard discussing Bill Clinton's re-election campaign. And this column made it to Bill Clinton's desk, which ended up leading to a full-time job at age 21. What happened here? And can you tell our audience about this path forward?
1: It's it's very much one of these right place, right time kind of stories. I was uh, went to Harvard, of course, uh, as uh, as you can probably figure out from that, and was uh, writing for the Crimson, which is our our school newspaper, and writing a regular election column during the presidential campaign back then. And shortly thereafter, the then White House Communications Director came to campus for a conference. He had been. Uh, many years before on on his school's uh, newspaper and picked up a copy of the crimson and saw my column like, liked it uh, had had met me as in the course of his time on campus and unbeknownst to me uh, at the time he shared the the column with president clinton who really liked it as well uh, President Clinton assigned it to his cabinet to read. That is crazy, uh, and used a line from it in his inaugural address, or at least a piece of, of it in his inaugural address. And I knew none of this was going on. I was I, I heard the inaugural address, but never put two and two together of of thinking that might be the case. And then got this call out of the blue, basically saying, telling me this story and saying President Clinton wants you to come work in in the White House. And um, maybe a good lesson, lesson, which is even for President Clinton. Trying to make a decision and get people on his team to go along with it was difficult because a whole bunch of people started fighting it as a being completely crazy decision, which it probably was in retrospect to bring this kid on into the White House. But I ended up uh, prevailing and um, 10 days after I graduated, started my job and was senior speechwriter at first for Vice President Gore and, and helping with President Clinton's speeches as well.
0: Andre, that is a crazy story and definitely a more unique job hunt <laughs> compared to most of my classmates that I know. So now jumping past politics, you spent the next decade plus you know, working in a variety of roles across government, as a prosecutor on financial fraud, and then eventually as a consultant to large financial institutions, which pushed you to start Aspiration. What happened as you were consulting these institutions, you know, that led you to build this product?
1: Most of the clients I ended up working on, or most of at least the time I spent working was for large financial institutions. And as we were in there trying to help them with their strategic decisions around how they were positioning themselves and, and what they were doing, it became pretty apparent to me that when you kept on pulling on the string of, of what was going on, and you know, as you'll uh, and your listeners know the uh, reference, uh, ask the Toyota five whys of understanding what was behind going on. At the end of the day, it, it wasn't around, their challenges were not around a failure of technology or product suite or anything like that. It was fundamentally that their customers just didn't trust them and didn't believe that the bank was on their side and was working for them and shared their interests and shared their values. And and look, not as a surprise to anybody listening to this podcast, the, the fact is that was true, right? Banks make more money when their customers are doing worse in life. more overdraft fees, more late fees, more service fees right. uh, for the vast majority of, of customers, other than for the very top top tier, and of course, at the same time, seeing that more and more businesses were responding to the consumer demand of a company that wasn't just providing good products but was providing them in a way that was in line with people's values and the kind of world they wanted to live in and that really became the set of questions we were thinking about when we started Aspiration, my, my co-founder and I back in, in 2013. How do you build trust and how do you do so by creating a financial institution that aligned our interests and aligned our values with uh, that of our customers?
0: That's awesome. And so for our listeners who might not have MBAs or attended business schools, the five whys is a famous Toyota framework where you should ask why to a a response five times before finally getting to the root of an issue, roughly. So as your quote went, you said, the impossible tasks are the only ones worth taking on. And you're certainly taking that on with aspiration. So for our listeners, can you just give a brief overview of how Aspiration works and, you know, the core features available to its customers.
1: Yeah, you know, I think we we set out with the idea of what would happen if you took a blank sheet of paper and just started from scratch and questioned all <laughs> assumptions of and, and thought, what should a financial institution
0: mm-hmm.
1: look like and be like and feel like in the 21st century? And so for Aspiration really have built a different set of products for a different customer base and and with a different business model. Our customers by and large first come to us for our spend and save account, which is really a way for them to replace their current checking or, or savings account that they have with a big bank with an account that will guarantee that their deposits are not used to fund oil and gas pipelines, drilling, other exploration of fossil fuels and, and so on and of course that's what their deposits are doing at just about any one of the of the big banks and and so that's our our core spend and save account we can talk more about this later in the podcast we became the first consumer financial platform to go independent of a third party bank sponsor back in 2018 and created our own independent structure so that we're not reliant on a third party bank to hold our accounts but created that ourselves and uh, that was a um, a big move that we made in 2018, 2019. But so our customers are coming to us for that spend and save account. Their fee structure for that is what we call pay what is fair. Customer decides what to pay us. If they want to pay us zero, they can pay us zero, get treated the same as any other customer. Up to us to earn the fee. Again, gets back to trust. They're using their aspiration debit card and with that seeing something called their aim score, which is the aspiration impact measurement that allows people to see their own personal sustainability score to see how... The businesses where they're shopping treat people on the planet, how they stack up against one another and make decisions based on that. Do you want to go to McDonald's or Burger King? Do you want to take an Uber or or a Lyft, whatever it might be? And then they see their own personal aim score as well. So think of it like a Fitbit for sustainability. And and then we offer a whole bunch of other products and features from there. Uh, We have Aspiration Plus, which is our premium subscription, makes all of your driving carbon neutral. We have Plant Your Change that will plant a tree with every purchase that you make by rounding up to the nearest dollar, offer sustainable investing options, uh, which now over the past five years has beaten the performance of the S&P and really democratizing sustainable investing. And now uh, have been launching the Aspiration Zero uh, credit card, which we're super excited about as well
0: awesome awesome mission andre and certainly a product that will become more and more important in the coming decade of course there was that report that just came out a week or two ago i can't remember who it was from the un maybe you know that talked about how intense climate change has become and kind of just the irreversible impact that we have so at least there are platforms like yours working on this problem so getting to the business itself can you tell us a little bit about your business model and how exactly you monetize this model with some nifty things like choosing your own fee like Dave and subscription models, et cetera. I mean, I think every neobank has taken such different approaches to
1: this. Well, the fact is our approach is a little different because we don't offer a free product and then a product with a fee. We tell our customers that there's a fee for all of our products. Now for the Spend and Save account, it happens to be that they choose the fee and and they can choose zero, but what we've seen consistently is that's not what they're choosing. And the great majority of customers choose to pay a monthly fee on our spend and save account, even though they could be zero, could be paying zero, because it's really about creating a relationship of trust. Again, going back to when we started Aspiration, we were seeing a lot of free products out there. But a lot of our sense was that's, in some ways, you get what you pay for with those kinds of products. And and if you get something for free, you don't value it all that much. And so we tell our customers, look, there's a a lot of people who are working really hard for you here at Aspiration. This is not a free product, but you choose the fee and and they've been treating us as fairly as they would hope that we treat them. And then we have our Aspiration Premium uh, subscription, which is another $8 a month that our customers are paying for a whole bunch of other features, especially Planet Protection, which as I said, makes all your driving carbon neutral but we've always felt that really building a business model and a revenue structure around creating trust was was really important.
0: Yeah, Andre, that's such an interesting approach and that creativity that I just love. I think, you know, if you wound the clock back 20 years and dropped that business model in an MBA class, it wouldn't stack up to traditional economic and management theory. <laughs> I remember the first time I actually ever saw a pay what you can afford feature was Radiohead when they released their In Rainbows album with a pay what you want feature, almost like a donation, but you could you know buy the album even if you donated $0. And it was a huge success, and I think their average donation amount or purchase price came out to pretty close to market and it was a big success for them. And bear with me, but I think there's a parallel to be made there. You know, Radiohead in the music industry has always stood for authenticity, unique sound and style, experimentation, not selling out to record labels and rewarding their listeners for that. And I think in return, their listeners have rewarded Radiohead with this fierce loyalty and willingness to pay and support. And then drawing the parallel to fintech, obviously we'll use aspiration as the example. Aspiration from top to bottom has built this amazing platform from fossil fuels, and your customers have clearly rewarded you for building such an all in, authentic product and experience. And I think, you know, if you slapped Bank of America or something with a pay what you want, their average payment would likely be a lot lower than aspiration. So, getting to the products point, I want to dig back in on one thing we touched on earlier, and this is the tree planting feature. What was the thinking on this, Andre, especially, I believe you released this pretty close to the start of COVID. And has it been a
1: success? As I mentioned, one of our key features is something we call planter change that plants a tree with every purchase by rounding up to the nearest dollar. And we launched that product in April of 2020, right after when the quarantine was at its at its height. And there was, as you might imagine, some internal debate. Is this the right thing to launch right now? Even though it's only a a few cents at a time uh, for that roundup, are people going to be willing to do that? And what we've seen is an enormous response. Um, We uh, at Aspiration have planted over 15 million trees in the past little more than a year. We're planting more trees than there are in Central Park every day by a long shot. And it's really because our customers have stepped forward. And so we're seeing people really say that they see the connection between their money and their and their morals and their values and optimizing their daily decisions based on that.
0: And so one very quick follow-up on those trees. How did you set this up and where are the trees being planted exactly?
1: Yeah, they're uh, being planted all over the world. We've created some very large contracts and deep relationships with some of the best respected NGOs in the space. And this year alone in 2021, we together with our partners are planting trees in Kenya, Mozambique, Madagascar, Brazil, Honduras, and and, and some of the US as well. That's fascinating.
0: And so you talked about making this hard decision in April, 2020 to open this model. There's another pretty important decision that you made recently, and there was actually an article in Fortune that you had authored about it. And this was the decision to raise your entire company's minimum wage to $25, which way more than triples, doubles, you know, the current minimum wage. This is a hotly debated topic. I think I see every day on Twitter saying, you know, if minimum wage had kept up with inflation, it'd be $20, $30 at least. And not to mention in the business that you're in, so many people are demanding profitability and it's a very tough place to be profitable. And you just blasted that hurdle rate, you know, kind of much higher. So can you talk about the thought process of going to this minimum wage? I'm personally a huge fan, but would love to hear the
1: reasoning behind it. It it wasn't an easy decision by any means and and probably shouldn't be because you're right. uh, There's all kinds of factors and reasons not to do something like that. You know, I I think for me personally, with uh, a family that that struggled to make ends meet growing up, uh, I, of course, care about how we as a society are are treating those and a belief that there should be a living wage. I I, I see that from a a public policy standpoint. But none of those kinds of questions are ones that I thought should enter into my mind as I was making this decision. Uh, That's my own personal view, but I had to make the right decision for our company and for my duty as CEO to help our company succeed and do what's right for our customers and our employees and our shareholders. And it was from that prism that I decided that raising our minimum wage to $25 was the right thing to do. Because for us, it was really about understanding that those companies that are really doing a great job for their employees are the ones that are doing a great job for their customers and if we were going to take a customer centered approach we needed to be attracting as high of a level as we could for our employees and and a lot of the employees who are seeing something like this either on the hourly wage or how that adds up to a salary would be ones that are the ones who are talking to our customers most directly on on a daily basis in our customer engagement department and you know i mentioned our aspiration redwood fund which is our sustainable investment fund has really democratized that space, best-in-class sustainable investing, available at a $10 minimum, and, as I said, has beaten the performance of the S&P. And the reason it's beaten the performance is because the research shows and the track record shows that those companies that do right for their employees and for the environment actually end up doing better financially. If a CEO is saying, you know, I may or may not care about my employees, but I know that the companies that are treating their employees best, that are thinking about diversity, are having a more productive, more innovative, more loyal workforce. Those companies are gonna do the best when it comes to their own results. And so part of it just also became, let's make sure that we're always practicing what we preach.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Talk about putting your money where your mouth is. That is as big of a decision as you can make in this space. Very difficult one. Did you get any, you know, kind of investor pushback by chance? You obviously don't have to name names, but I'm sure they couldn't have been too excited at first.
1: You know, it, in fact, uh, it was it was the opposite. It was our investors actually encouraged me to think about doing this, and you know, maybe that's the kinds of investors that we've attracted to Aspiration. But I think we've been fortunate to have investors and leaders on our board and and otherwise who have really always believed that the companies that they're going to be part of are going to do their best because of making wise decisions as opposed to in spite of it.
0: So obviously, you know, with these decisions in mind, the person you have at the end is the customer and everyone in fintech, especially in these kind of consumer facing businesses have to think about acquiring customers, CAC, LTV, all of the usuals. So I'd love to learn how did you think about your customer acquisition strategy and maybe your first 1000 customers who I would assume were you know fierce maybe environmentalists versus the last 1000 users who might be you know just picking this up as another great bank account to use
1: we've always gone after a different kind of customer than others in the space and have always been pretty clear with ourselves about who our aspiration customers are and they're a really different breed than the kinds of customers who might be going to a traditional neo bank or challenger bank or even other consumer financial platforms we're not going after financial optimizers we're not going after the people who are out there hunting for the best interest rate or the best (laughs) fees or getting their paycheck two days early or rounding up the savings or, or any of these other kinds of things we want to be competitive on all those fronts we don't want to lose on those fronts and and we are very competitive there. Those customers, those financial optimizers, represent about a third of the total market out there of those customers who are up for grabs by digital financial solutions. But there's another third that are those we call conscious consumers. And those are people who are thinking, first and foremost, about ethics and environmental sustainability as they're making daily spending decisions in the grocery store, buying clothes, buying coffee. And those are our customers. And so we're going after that third of the population. And so those were our first 1,000 customers. We now have over 4 million members, and we're still talking to those customers. And we have a lot of room to grow just given the size of that population and the fact that they represent a third overall. But when you look at millennials and, and people your age, Gen Z, right. they're closer to a half of of the population. And so those are the people we're speaking to. Those are the people we're creating products for. And we're building a not just financial platform for those people, but a platform to actually have positive, sustainable impact, unlike what they can do in any other part of their life.
0: You know, a, a trend that we've explored on this podcast so many times is this type of mission-driven banking, mission-driven investing, mission-driven personal financial choices. And there's so many ways that that's been spun by community, by location, by affinity, by sexuality, etc. And this is just another amazing, amazing way for people to support what they believe in with their personal finances.
1: You're absolutely right. And I think at its heart, the promise of fintech is about saying, how can you serve different kinds of communities? And how can you serve communities around shared values or around a shared set of concerns? You know, are you, are you the bank for lower to moderate income people who are having a hard time making ends meet? Are you the bank for black Americans? And there's some, some great uh, banks coming up there. Are, are you the bank for LGBTQ community? And, and there's new innovation happening there for us. So for Aspiration, we think of ourselves as a community bank as well, but we're serving that community of conscious consumers wherever they might be because it's just as easy to now open an account at Bank of America or Wells Fargo or aspiration or chime or Vorrow or or anybody else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean and especially as we all become increasingly you know borderless, much more flexible with our working our locations, our jobs our preferences, it's so important for people to have this choice and for our listeners, you know some of the banks to look out for First Boulevard is one focused on black Americans daylight for LGBTQ. And then, of course, the Chimes, the Daves, the Varrows, the currents of the world for kind of lower income folks looking to probably get just a better banking product than they're used to. Right. And I appreciate saying that I'm Gen Z. I have to regretfully inform you that I'm not. I don't want my listeners to be confused. <laughs> it must just be the lighting. I am a millennial.
1: Everybody everybody for me is uh, you know either a, a, a baby boomer or or, Gen or just Gen Z' so, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of being a Gen X or you're you know you're always just stuck in between
0: right So of course on the topic of Gen Z, we have to talk about these amazing partnerships that aspiration has including probably the biggest star on the planet and this is Drake. And then we of course also have Orlando Bloom, Leo DiCaprio, Robert Downey Jr and some others. So we have to I think just start with Drake. How did this partnership come about? And have you met the guy, Aubrey Graham himself?
1: You know, I have not yet. It came through my co-founder, Joe Sandberg, and some of his relationships. The Drake partnership especially is interesting because it speaks to a lot of what Aspiration is doing these days, which is taking the tools and technology we've built for our individual consumers and using them to help businesses reduce or eliminate their carbon footprint. And so we're working with home builders, we're working with apartment building owners, we're working with large employers around helping them tell a positive sustainability story in ways that engage their customers and their employees. So for instance, working with Curio, which is an NFT uh, platform, they were seeing challenges on both sides of of their auctions from both the creators and and the buyers around, of course, the carbon footprint of crypto and, and Ethereum. And so they came to Aspiration and said, can you make all of our auctions carbon neutral? And so we've been doing that with them and they've seen a, a great response. So we're spending a lot of our time, not just continuing to build out our consumer business, but really, again, helping to serve businesses. And, and one of those businesses we're now serving is Drake, who said, can you assess Drake <laughs> Inc. Right. And, and my own footprint and, and my tour and help assess that and, and make that carbon neutral and so we're working with him to do so. And a lot of other great business partnerships that we haven't announced yet. But I, I think it does him and, and others that are coming to Aspiration, I, I think speaks to a big part of why people come to Aspiration. Again, the people who are coming to Aspiration aren't really the ones who are saying, hey, I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to go to Chime or Current or, or Aspiration. They're, they're coming because of impact. They're coming because of mission. And they're coming because they want to be part of this movement. And so they're really excited to join and really excited to tell their friends and their family about what they're doing. And, and that's really the same reason that we've seen these really prominent environmental leaders who are well-known want to be part of Aspiration, want to invest in Aspiration, want to do business with Aspiration.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Partnering with Drake. I mean, I, I worked a little bit in the music industry before Wharton part-time. I don't know if people realize the immense footprint that these tours have especially for someone like Drake it's private jets private tour buses the equipment the insane energy usage on different concerts and venues etc and you know supporting the whole team when someone like him goes around the world it is a huge huge operation
1: yeah absolutely. which
0: you know of course better than anyone you've got the data sitting in there somewhere <laughs> so last question and that's this independent structure that aspiration has taken on, can you just kind of explain to our listeners in depth what that means and what was the impetus for making this switch?
1: After three years of having a third-party bank sponsor, we did break off and create our own independent structure. We didn't get a bank charter uh, like Varo or maybe some of the others uh, because we're fundamentally not a bank in terms of our economics or our business model. We are not balancing assets and liabilities, but we did want to build something that's independent. And so what we did was build our spend and save account around a cash management account structure. And so licensed by FINRA and created a product that is a cash management account, but has the complete set of services and features that somebody would expect from a checking or savings account. Everything from free ATMs to FDIC insurance. And the way that that works is when you open an account at Aspiration, Ryan's account actually is with Aspiration and not with Bank X under the hood somewhere. Right. But Ryan's money, along with that of all of our other Aspiration customers, is being swept to a network of community banks around the country that we've certified as being fossil fuel-free, firearm-free, detention center-free, private prison-free in their own lending practices, Uh, and they pass back that FDIC insurance to Aspiration and, and on those dollars.
0: That is an incredible, incredible model and just another differentiator that Aspiration seems to have.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, not an easy lift to build, um, but it was, <laughs> but it was the right decision long term because it, it does mean yeah. we really do own those accounts and, and own that customer and can mm-hmm. have all kinds of different ways in which we can serve that customer and optimize around what's best for that customer.
0: Yeah, that could not have been easy. Just hearing that the high level, <laughs> my head was immediately going into all of the challenges that must have taken yeah. for the past few years. So Andre, you have reached the final round of the episode, which is the rapid fire question round. We've got about 10 or so questions for you. You know, Max, maybe 10 second reply each. Are you ready?
1: I'll do my best.
0: All right. First one, who is your fintech hero?
1: My fintech hero would be uh, Noah Breslow, who started On deck And you know, some of these people who were the OGs of the, of the fintech revolution uh, really set, uh, set the course.
0: That's great. We should get Noah on the podcast, actually, now that you bring it up. You should. Next one, who is your public sector hero?
1: My public sector hero would be uh, my former boss, Al Gore, who led a pretty lonely fight to get people to pay attention to <laughs> what we were calling global warming back in the right. 1990s, even though it was against his political best interests because it was the right mm-hmm. thing to do.
0: Absolutely, I still remember watching *An Inconvenient Truth*, and in, I think my yeah. middle school classroom. What a great kind of hallmark <laughs> moment! Yeah. So, next one: Who is a you know VC or angel investor that's been surprisingly helpful? A former guest of ours talked about the check size to help ratio. Yeah, is there anyone that has been exceptionally helpful?
1: You know, one person I'd, I'd point to was Jeff Skoll, uh, who was a very early investor, former president, of course, and founding president of, of eBay who at a time that everybody else told us we were crazy to try to do a sustainable financial institution where people could pay zero if they so wanted and giving <laughs> right. 10% to charity, yeah. said, no, I think this is going to work and uh, and has been with us all through the process.
0: That's great. All right, next one. What is your morning routine or anything you do each day?
1: I do probably all the things you're not supposed to do. I, I wake up, immediately pick up my phone, <laughs> uh, start uh, scrolling <laughs> through. right. Uh, Whatever crises have 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 arisen, and then uh, try to get myself uh, a little bit of coffee as soon as possible to uh, jar myself awake.
0: (laughs) All right, next one. Going back to the public, I just think you have interesting insight compared to most guests. What do you think the public and private sector most misunderstand about each other? I know this could probably be a six-episode series in itself.
1: You know, I think that my fellow business leaders in the financial industry. Should be banging on the table and asking for more regulation of what we as an industry do rather than less, because that'll help earn people's trust, uh, which is to me the biggest thing we're solving for.
0: Love that answer. Last two. What was the highest and lowest moment so far when building Aspiration?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, anybody out there who's starting a company or who has, who has started a company, uh, I assure you there's going to be a lot of. Uh, Low moments uh, along the way. Uh, somebody once said, I said it was a roller coaster. They said, no, it's just a big dip for a long time and <laughs> you're dealing with uh, all kinds of um, stuff. And, yeah. uh, but I'd say the highest moments have been the ones where I am able to, in some ways, change my perspective on the daily basis and understand how meaningful what we're doing is to our customers and the kind of positive impact we're having.
0: Great. Well, Andre, I think that's a fantastic place to stop. I want to thank you so much for coming on today's episode of the Wharton Fintech podcast, spreading an incredibly powerful mission and amazing product. I'll be sure to link all of this in the episode description for our listeners
1: who want to learn more. Ryan, thank you for having me. And and I also know this is your last in a great series of (laughs) podcasts that you've created. So thank you for what you have done in telling the story of this revolution we're in the middle of, which is so important. And uh, you've performed in it, incredible service just in that, along with <laughs> everything else that's still to come.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate that. This has been an honor the last kind of two years being at the the forefront of this industry, at least in terms of publication and sharing stories like yours. Thank you again, Andre, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review. And if you're looking for more fintech content, subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton Fintech. There you will find articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I've linked our accounts in the episode description. I would also like to thank our editor, Rafael Ostria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Ryan Zauk.